0: we
1: Welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world giving back to us. This is Mike Sands-Wade again. Uh, he's uh, doing what I should be doing, is prepping for a semester that's going to be somewhat online and somewhat face-to-face uh, for the 2020 fall semester. I'm joined by Justin Clout, who has been on before, but... Th- Episode has not been published yet. I don't know what's going to come out first. We're a little behind. As, as of this recording, we have about four episodes that haven't yet, yet been produced. We're also joined um, with uh, Farmer Ben. What do you want? Benj Lorenz. Benj Lorenz, yes. And, uh, well, why don't you introduce yourself and say, uh, what do you do for a living and what's, what's your deal? What's uh, going on? One of the many things I do. I'm a, I currently
0: am a carpenter. And a farmer, a hemp farmer, and I also uh, played professional music for about 15 years in a band called Koine, and I spend uh, a lot of my evenings talking with Justin Cloud about <laughs> ridiculous things, which has been going on for,
1: since college. Yep, yeah, so went to college together, and a little bit of seminary, and uh, kind of lifelong re- friends re- kind of thing.
2: Reunited. Yeah.
1: Both from Watertown,
2: Wisconsin now. right now, yeah.
1: but you were in uh, Montana for, what, 15, 16 years? 16 years. And you were in Milwaukee since two th- uh, t- thousand. So yeah. what was at twenty years, <laughs> almost, almost twenty years. <laughs> I just moved almost last twenty year, years, man. and now into the glorious city of Watertown, Wisconsin. Yes. So yeah. anyway, um, we are here to talk about James K. A. Smith and the uh, episode that um, is maybe going to come up before or after this. Uh, Justin came on, who, by the way, is a pastor, if if you're the first time that you're listening to him is a pastor in Watertown, Wisconsin, and we talked about a favorite author of ours, James K. Smith, and his book, On the Road with St. Augustine, and it's a take on Augustine with a little Jack Kerouac in in between, and real interesting book, and so we're going to get into a three-part series that James K. Smith put together called Cultural Liturgies. It's three books, Desiring the Kingdom, Imagining the Kingdom, and Awaiting the King. And just get maybe an introduction to James K. Smith and, um, uh, well we'll just see where the, where the conversation goes. We're not gonna do a free-for-all or even an introduction, we're just gonna keep going. So uh, hopefully that'll be <coughs> easy to produce later. So just a little background on James K. Smith, he's a, a Canadian uh, from rural Canada, um, made his way to America uh, in, in school, PhD in Villanova, now teaches at Calvin College, he's a, a professor of philosophy there and probably just a little bit older than us, Maybe fifty, I don't not fifty yet, maybe, but a prolific writer. And uh, we've talked about this before, Justin, but uh, what attracted uh, me to him was his ability to take very complicated things specifically from postmodernism and make them dumb enough for me to understand them. Uh, James Caseett's biggest probably um, influence is the Canadian philosopher, Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor. Um, and uh, he, who is a was a big giant in the philosophical world, especially the Christian philosophy world. So uh, maybe both of you can, and maybe just be Justin. But why are you attracted to James K. Smith and and uh, and his writings?
2: Well, I think uh, I was actually turned on by Jamie, to Jamie Smith, by an Anglican friend in Missoula who had actually read. Charles Taylor, yeah, and also was a, a fan of Jamie Smith, and that's when I read uh, "You Are What You Love," <clears> mm-hmm. which would, probably is most
1: popular yeah. book I, or at least the the best selling.
2: And you made it sound like that may be kind of a compilation I think of so. his three volumes yeah. here, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, these three volumes, so when we say James K. Smith is able to, he, he's, he can give you a primer on Charles Taylor. Yeah. It's entitled How Not to Be Secular. Um, uh, there's some postmodern books, uh, Who's Afraid of Relativism and Who's Afraid of Postmodernism, and then On the Road with St. Augustine, which I think we would recommend yeah. to, to everybody. This three-part series is tough reading. It's It's a different way of his writing. It's A little um, I wouldn't say that it's uh, too academic it's just you got to understand where he's coming from and to really get what he's after and so uh, you are what you love is uh, a good primer into that and I I don't know it not necessarily a direct summary of that but there's enough there so if you're serious about it yeah I get the three volume set or just listen to this podcast Or watch the many videos that he has on there, which is actually even better. Uh, he's James K. A. Smith's been pretty good. I mean, uh, every time he speaks, it seems like there's somebody tapes it and it's good there. So um, maybe I'll just give a few things into the cultural liturgies uh, to, to prime the pump and then let you guys take over. I think is uh, the first point we need to make is that James K. A. Smith would say in the modern period, we think of human beings as the type of animals that are thinking things so think uh, Rene Descartes we are our brains we are thinking things and this is not just a secular thing that we are the brain matter as opposed to a soul but in Christian churches we really have have swallowed this as well that we are thinking things, that we're just our minds. And so Christianity becomes something that is intellectual, that it is, I see a set of doctrines and then I say, yes, I agree with that, I assent to that kind of thing. And he would argue, not even that we're the types of beings that are believers, although we are, and and of course we are thinking things as well, but we are more than that, we are lovers. Um, And so, how do you know a person? You ask them, what do you desire, what do you love? And he's channeling St. Augustine there. He takes it to the next step when he says, we are also people who worship. And so, homo liturgicons or homo adorants, if we just want to make up words, right? Um, uh, We are the types of being that put something first, that worship something. That loves something, that desires something, and that most of our actions are not really because we thought about something and made a cognitive decision about it, but it was affected. It was of the heart. And so, he's channeling Augustine there when he when when uh, Augustine says, "Augustine, sorry, Justin." <laughs> Augustine says, um, "You know, we are restless until we find rest with you." Right, And speaking to God there. So he's channeling also. David Foster Wallace here, yeah. right? And we did an episode on his famous uh, address at Kenyon, Kenyon College, what, 2005 or something like that. So that's where I'm gonna leave off right now. I have much more to say as a liturgical snob about cultural liturgies and that kind of stuff, but I will open it up to you two to say, what do you think about this idea? What is a human being? Uh, are we the types of beings that worship and what does that
2: mean? I I think Jamie Smith is JK Smith is, is on to something with the emotions and the will and the heart being involved in what we are. Um I said to Benj last night that if, if we were sheerly thinking creatures, brains on a stick, mm-hmm. as he says, mm-hmm. technically we would all marry the most homely Intelligent woman that we could find because there'd be no risk that she would, <laughs> that any other guy would be interested in her. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, there's much more that plays into that. That, that w- as we make decisions, whether that be spiritual decisions or decisions about buying a car, our, I, I think he brings out that the beautiful point that our hearts, our desires are just as much involved as our brains. And and maybe to a detriment, like you mm-hmm. even think, um, you know, Wells pastors at the seminary um, in our class, which guys are kind of held up as you know the the uh, I don't want to say the chosen ones, The but intellectual type, or the yeah. The I mean, I, I would say at seminary the intellectuals, the academics, at least when I was there, and and I think it's changed a bit, <laughs> but but they're they're the ones who are seen as the ones who are going to be successful Mm -hmm. pastors in the ministry. And sometimes that's the case, but sometimes we also know, yeah, that. And and if we
1: were just thinking things, we wouldn't, we we would rational, we we would, we would not be in the trouble we're in. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I think he makes a good point. Like if we were always thinking rationally about things, (laughs) like we would live in a completely different world. And he brings up. Uh, David Brooks, at least in the video, yeah. not in the book. And and I do like David Brooks. Sometimes yeah. he gets criticized and probably rightfully so. But he, he actually wrote a, a, a road to character and, and plays on Augustine, too. But I can't remember the book uh, Smith was talking about in one of those videos. But that you got to, as politicians and people who are, you know, doing policy and educators and stuff like this, you got to understand the human being is not, is, is is as much emotion much more emotional much more driven by these desires than than just a cognitive rational decision and if you're honest with your life you're like yeah that's that's pretty true now these three books uh, a lot of it has to do with how how do we look at a christian university and and the connection there is he's saying we're not just thinking things and nor are we have all of our emotions and desires hardwired in as if we're just can define ourselves by evolutionary processes. And the point is, is that we can be formed, right? We can be malformed or we can be formed And the university should not be about teaching, thinking things, how just to think so that they can get jobs, but it's formational, Mm -hmm. right? And all three of us went away to high school. We were talking about this earlier. Um, that was formative for us. And, it, and, and when we look back, I am on our high school days, I know I do, I probably couldn't tell you maybe five, six things of what I cognitively learned. I know right. it's there. I know it's there. But I'm who I am because of the formation of going to chapel, of also hanging out with, with the guys, doing this extracurricular. And more than that, more than that, it, it was navigating life. Away from home, at a very formative time, and he wants that for college too. So, uh, I'll let you, Benj. You got what are your initial thoughts about when you when you uh, tackled well, Smith?
0: I yeah, most of the stuff I I glean from when Justin calls me up and says I should listen to this. So I listened to one of his, mm-hmm. his I think is one of his speeches on this book and like Cheap Trick has this great song I Want You to Want Me which I think is like the classic I think that's the basis of all human existence is and that you James want K. Smith would
1: love yeah. this that you're, yeah. you're yeah. saying
0: yeah. Yeah. every time I hear that song I'm like you know that is exactly what everybody want they want someone to want them I think that's what happened in the garden yeah. and it got uh, everything got misconstrued so yeah do we worship I, you know the cliches that you are what you eat mm-hmm. those things all make, make great sense because uh, you you yeah, you. You chase after what you love the most, and then you may think you want something, but th- what you actually physically do in your day-to-day life is what determines whether or not you achieve certain goals or not. And I, I don't know. I was thinking about in high school, since we were talking about MLS in high school. Um, Michigan Lutheran Seminary Saginaw, yeah, Michigan. Go Cardinals! Yep, yep, yep. And I was when he when he was talking. I was like, with ritual and the, with. Um, liturgies and things like there was a guy that i played football with and i i respected him tremendously but he told me one time later that every morning he would have to open up the shower curtain from left to right which was different than his normal routine because that was a game day Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting that like he he would think Hmm. that that was a necessary thing to do like it was a it was a liturgical action it was a ritual Mm -hmm. that he had to perform to kind of set him right for the day and so like the fact that we are liturgical creatures totally makes sense everything we do is routine everybody makes up you know, if we didn't have a routine, we wouldn't be who we are.
1: Yeah. So on a very, uh, I don't know, psycho psychology level, um, much of what we do going through the day, we don't do without thinking, right? And he uses the example of, you know, when you're driving, you just drive mm-hmm. and I'm teaching my oldest to drive right now and I'm trying not to yell at her, you know, unless she's about to hit something, but I have to remind myself exactly what. What what Smith says is that for the early driver, they have to think about everything. Yeah. Right, and it's not instinctive and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, we we did an episode on Jonathan Haidt too, and uh, thanks to our listener who we were saying Jonathan Haidt for a long time, and she you know <laughs> she corrected, she corrected us. Understood. I think I may have that wrong with which one, but <laughs> anyway, um, and he's an atheist, um, or at least somebody who's not religious, and he would he would agree with that and he would also agree with what you're talking about we we just want to be loved is that his whole idea about the righteous mind is that we are also the types of beings that have to justify our existence and we have to be we have to be just right righteous we have to be loved Mm -hmm. we want to I think if we're honest we go most of our actions are trying to impress other people so that they like us right i think it's why we gossip i think it's why eighth grade boys act yep. the way they do you know all that kind of stuff and yeah well i'm looking at the problem. <laughs> so when i do this in a speech i'll say i know why how eighth grade boys <laughs> act because i was one and here's why they don't they don't try and they pretend they don't care when they really do is because if they try they risk failure, mm-hmm. and they don't understand it. And then it's also why eighth-grade girls inexplicably still want the attention of those eighth-grade mm-hmm. boys, right? So we're also the types of beings, Homo justificans, that wants to that want to be justified that way. Um, back to that idea about uh, worship, and we are the types of being that that worship. Maybe I'll ask you to this question. Um, when we mean like we're the types of beings that worship, we're putting something, we're loving something above all else. And it becomes our telos, our, our drive. It becomes maybe even our identity. And if it's not Christ who is going to give us this righteousness, fulfill this desire to be justified, we're gonna be chasing after the wind, if we can, you know, we can uh, quote Solomon, right? So um, w- w- what, does that, what does that mean? So this is David Foster Wallace, tragically Mm -hmm. understood this, but maybe not the Christian answer to this. What is it, if I worship something that is not something that can fulfill this telos, finding rest in God, how does it eat me up?
2: And this is, you know, I don't know when, I I, I would assume that J.K. Smith has always been an an Augustine Mm -hmm. devotee. Or a scholar, or, or yeah, that, I, that would have been in his training as a, yeah, as a I'm, philosopher. I'm
1: wondering if I don't know where it came into his into his uh, his formation. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to go to Villanova, uh, I don't yeah. know if it's a Jesuit school, but it's certainly a Roman Catholic school. That he's going to get a heavy dose of Augustine there. Yeah.
2: Because now, I mean, obviously these these three volumes came before on the road to Augustine. Mm-hmm. But I think looking back, we would say this is a very Augustinian. Mm-hmm idea right mm-hmm. chasing after all of the lesser loves mm-hmm. that don't fulfill mm-hmm. and ultimately you need something that can fulfill that that heart-shaped void um that is at the heart of all of this really mm-hmm. right i mean in Benjamin and i were talking about this a little bit on the way over here like his Probably one of the greatest things of you are what you love. I don't know if he he gave this same illustration in 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 one of these the, the volumes in his three volume series, but the mall being a yep, liturgy. yep, yep. And the fact, I mean, it's a beautiful liturgy and the way that he portrays this is just it's fun to read. Sure. You know how he goes step by step through. You're walking into a cathedral. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Three-dimensional icons, mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you go to the, um, what what would he say? The the guide, the the priest. Mm-hmm. Yep, the cashier. The cashier who's going to sell am, you something. I had
0: many times as a kid. I loathed going to the mall. Loathed <laughs> it because I because one well one because I get mall backs so my back would hurt. <laughs> Second thing because was is that, back <laughs> is that a thing. That it's, a a technical thing. thing? <laughs> yeah. it's a lower back pain.
1: Is that why they have the massage shares yeah. <laughs> <have> for <laughs> old guys <Yeah. laughs>
0: for people like me? No, but as a kid I always felt I felt very greedy. And
1: yeah. this was
0: something that yeah. resonated when I heard him talk about that. I'm like, you know what, yeah, like I'd go to the mall and I would see all these pictures in Namicromy and Fetch of these of these young men, very stylish, and I'm like, man, I should and it almost fueled me to be the opposite, you know, later on where, you know, at a prep school you kind of can get away with genes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but that
1: but that desire and that want, what he articulates, is really, really strong. And what he makes it says, it ends up only being law. The, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah, that the, was the interesting. The cultural religion is only... So he was very Luther Lutheran in that when he yeah. he says... and Because the opposite well, was... Uh, he was talking about the oprification of yeah. whatever yeah. and every, you're okay and believe in yourself or whatever. And there's no... Um, well, it ends up being law itself too because... Th- but there's no... F- there's no idea of um, structure. There's no idea of whatever. Yeah. So do, let me just back up and explain and then, and then yeah, go to you. Yeah. So uh, we have, when I teach worship at the, at the college, what I will say is there's three options. You can have ritual and teaching. So this is the ritual we do and we teach it. That's, that's the sweet spot. You can have ritual without teaching. So you're going through the motions. Uh, in one of the books he talks about this as the the godfather problem so in the mm-hmm. godfather movies you have all these rich catholic rituals the mm-hmm. baptism or whatever but clearly it has not formed the morality and ethics of. isn't the, the guy like theme. having
2: flashbacks right I, I, it goes yeah. back
1: and forth between you know and and it's awesome latin right like yeah. you know do you renounce the devil and michael corleone says as the godfather for the for the baptized yes and then it flashes to the murder that he just uh, he just commissioned um <clears throat> And then there's a third option, and that is teaching without ritual. And I say, this is adequate, but it's impossible, right? You can tell me all day long Protestant world that we just teach the Bible and we don't have a ritual, but you're lying to yourself because you have a ritual.
0: Once you say everything is a ritual, I mean, like
1: what what Mm -hmm. would define ritual and then capital R ritual? Right. And so what I would, when I say to the kids, I say, listen, if you're going to be like the Amish and you're going to sit around in a room and you're going to wait for the spirit to talk upon, uh, take over one person and speak, that says something about your doctrine. That says something about what you think about humanity, that it's more spiritual, that there's a Gnostic split Mm -hmm. or whatever you can try as hard as you want to not be ritual, but you're being ritual. Mm-hmm. So I always get one, well, we go to a liturgical church or a non-liturgical church. I roll my eyes about no. Yeah, and okay. so his point is we have secular liturgies and mm-hmm. the mall has its own liturgy. It has its own calendar. It has its own colors. Uh, it has its own colors. It has its own architecture. It has its own feel. It mm-hmm. has its own smell. It mm-hmm. has its priest. It has all these things that touch your soul, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You feel guilty or and it's very effective like this is this is your and he uses the word flourishing you know the Hebrew word Shalom like this is this is what's going to get you to to Shalom Um, I think of he he uses the example of I mean college football NASCAR I think a big one that I struggled with as a pastor was patriotism this America this is this is who I am my identity is wrapped up in America Um, that kind of thing but I'll stop right there and go
2: I, I was go. just going to go back to the, the confession and absolution of them all. Yeah. And the confession is I can never be as beautiful as those yep. people portrayed. It's, that's tough.
0: That's a r- tough, tough thing to learn, but it's there.
2: And <laughs> I, I have pimples and
0: yeah. I'm a little I don't overweight, I'm, I'm a little overweight. Yeah.
2: And I would say the one thing he didn't mention that I thought of is there might be a partial absolution which might be when you get the right clothes yeah. and you start to look right. Because they have, they have a size that fits you. <laughs> <That's the> Absolutely. <laughs> right. You won't be as good as this, but here's some, yeah, your second best. Yeah, it says best. it's a size 5, but it's really a 15. But, yeah, <laughs> you feel pretty good. But when your friends say, and you look really good in that new... We're probably like dating ourselves, Abercrombie and Fitch, sure. right? But that, not <laughs> even, does that even that probably still exists. I yeah, don't but know. You, but you
0: get you get your you get affirmation, yeah, affirmation from
1: your you friends. Get, you, you get you get a great.
2: partial absolution, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's not enough. And
1: and the other side, Oprah, is to say, oh no, that's all wrong. You're just great as you mm-hmm. as, as you, you are, you is. Yeah. as you as you <laughs> are, and that's fine, when it comes to the outward beauty of something. We think we yeah. should be able to see beauty in different in different places, even in a 42-year-old fat guy. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that takes away the law, sin, you know, yeah. sin. And so, you know, uh, that has its own problem because then there's no need. In the mall, there is no forgiveness. Yeah. In And in, uh, this is not fair to Oprah, but he uses that example. In Oprah, there's no need for forgiveness because okay. you're just fine the way you are. Well, both are lacking, both don't last, and those liturgies formed us. They did something to us, which I think is foundational to understand worship and something that I didn't figure out until I was in the parish, that worship is the arrow goes from God to me rather than the other way around. He's forming me, he's coming to me. Do I say thank you? Do I praise him? Yes, because I'm not a jerk. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's moved me. But I don't go there to wor- This is why the, the, the English word worship is not really great for for explaining Sunday morning. I'm coming into the presence of God and he should flick me away. But he doesn't. He gives me the righteousness of Christ and those rituals of conf- a true confession absolution for me to the point where. I have the heartbeat of law and gospel, and I think about maybe a marriage too, like um, if I have the ritual of Sunday morning and, and saying in front of my wife and the Lord and the rest of it, I 'm kind of a jerk, and then I 'm shown love that affects the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. That liturgy formed me where the mall may or my my false patriotism or my whatever may malform me. So there there was a video too that he and he I think he brought it up in one of these books that a Christian should take a liturgical audit. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like what what are the cultural liturgies around me that are forming me and changing me and maybe I want to check myself, yeah.
0: And that's kind of where like I you know I I wonder See when I look at like like secular things that are really powerful I see them as really interesting ways that humanity is searching for this for meaning and so I like I find them as interesting tools like here's another created being who has found really creative and unique ways to to push an agenda whether it's whether you like the end result of it or not or, you know the, the form of worship or whatever it is and that's where I don't know, like when he says that we have to counter, like you pit stuff, like, you counter, you counter, mm-hmm. counteract things. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of look at that stuff as all useful tools. Like if you can, if you can, if you know where the proper worship should be, you can kind of find interesting mm-hmm. things in secular yep. Yep. tools. Does that make sense? I'm yeah, not, I don't I, know I, if I'm being clear. No,
1: I, th- I, I think I know what you're after. And I, I think that's kind of the age old question. How much of the culture right. do you bring into into the worship service? I, The way I... And I'm, this is not necessary to your point, but since I teach this, I have these things in my mm-hmm. mindset. I would say the Christian liturgy, especially the classic Sunday morning service, is a portrait. It's it's the story of Christ told in poetry and prose. So if you follow the the liturgy, you start with the glory and excelsis You're at Christmas. You're you're gonna go through the whole life. You're gonna get Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get Good Friday, Behold the Lamb of God. You're gonna have Monday's Thursday take and eat you're actually coming and participating in the Holy Communion is is a resurrection event because if he's there then he's alive right you have ascending of Pentecost the blessing ascension all that kind of stuff so you have this grand picture this grand think of like a huge painting in a museum that generations of people from all over the world I mean our liturgy by the way is mostly Jewish but it's Syrian it's North Africa it's everything you get a brushstroke, right? You, not only it's your duty as a Christian to bring your culture into that, but you only get a brushstroke,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I, I, I think that's the way to kind of balance that out. Um, but I, I i think that if you're worshiping, maybe this is more to your point, if, you, if you're worshiping the right thing, um, there's freedom in that, yeah. right? right? Because if right. my worship is not to please God, I'm I'm good with God because of Jesus Christ, so I don't have to worry if I'm praying the right thing or doing it the right style or whatever. Then there's freedom, and the freedom is love for others. Mm-hmm. But there's also creative freedom in there, which is also what we human beings are. We are the types of beings that create, and the type of beings that love. I don't know if that was what you're after. No, yeah, man. like
0: I, I'm curious what he, you know when he says counterbalance the uh, secular liturgy is like what you know what is that actually you know what is he really getting at because like again i find them to be tools because i have the freedom to look at them as yeah. tools and figure out what's good i mean you know when you um you're explaining the movements of the liturgy each one of those statements was pack was <laughs> packaged with the whole backstory yeah like you have a lot of knowledge about each one of those events mm-hmm. whereas in the mall you have I can compare immediately you know not to get into his analogy of them all but it's true like i I can identify with that person because it's fat it's super easy yeah or that that that, uh uh the mannequin i can identify with that because it's i can see myself in it and so um the communication element of of counterbalancing secular uh worshiping the, the secular ideas is i'm curious yeah I'm just curious well, as what, and, what and he I means think by that we
2: were talking about this on the way over here a little bit that and i think smith would acknowledge this that uh augustine teaches us that once you understand the higher good and the ultimate love of christ you can appreciate you know, I I think maybe maybe Benj, what you were a little bit hesitant on, is is Smith just labeling all cultural liturgies as bad and counter? Yeah, but I, yeah. but I think the Christian can maybe even appreciate the blessings that come through some of those other liturgies. Mm-hmm. Like, I I'm thinking of the simplistic the simplistic sermon that you and I probably both preached mm-hmm. in our in our younger years. Maybe we still do, but it's like, you know. You people, instead of coming and hearing the word, you're doing recreation. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a this or that. Right. Right. Whereas really the truth is you're doing your recreational liturgy, but as a Christian who's been redeemed in a world given back to you, you can truly enjoy and appreciate that liturgy of going to the lake and driving your boat around and giving praise to God for that. So that is a secular liturgy to someone who's secular. But to someone who has the proper understanding of it and mindset, that can be a beautiful, yeah. glorious offering to God that you're enjoying his creation. And yeah. The, so. le-
1: the lesser loves remain lesser loves, yeah. instead of becoming the one thing that d- defines me. Because if it defines me, then that's my ultimate telos, my ultimate destiny. Yep. And that will either frustrate me, disappoint me, and eventually probably eat me alive.
2: And he talks about worshiping the boat
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: instead of the destination. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think a Christian can maybe ride on the boat yeah. and appreciate the boat because you know that it's a lesser gift.
1: Yeah, Justin, you've told us that we we should do an episode on freedom. We're itching, we're, we're, we're scratching this. What yeah. is true freedom, right? Uh, true freedom, I think, is I can enjoy those physical things, I can enjoy the quote-unquote lesser loves precisely because I am free from pleasing God, I'm free from trying to justify myself, I'm free from trying to make this my be-all and the end-all. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I don't want to get too political, but I, I think on both sides um, this is a huge problem for us that you have, you have a untamed patriotism, as if America is the telos yeah and that becomes everything in your identity and then you force your patriotism on somebody else right so again I'll put myself out there since (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know you you can say what you want about Colin Kaepernick but the first thing I thought about that whole thing was why are we forcing somebody to be patriotic that seems like a real (laughs) first step to a very (laughs) bad place Right. Mm -hmm. Um, um, So, I mean, I think there's there's something there. Right. On the other side, I think a lot of the, you know, the social justice warriors and there's conservative social justice warriors as well. Right. We did it first, by the way. The conservatives (laughs) did it first. Right. Um, That 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 righteousness that I'm more moral than you and I'm going to point out the tiniest little flaw in your thinking to make myself look more righteous than you mm-hmm. is a dead end and it's gonna it's gonna come crashing down on a lot of people i think um and notice that in that way there's in either side there's no forgiveness there's no freedom it's only law there's no gospel and there's a liturgy to all of that right i mean let's just take let's take a benign, more benign example than than what i just said environmentalism it has taken on, and and we should be conscious of the environment. I think we all agree with that. But it's taken on a religious fervor. There's evangelism that's going mm-hmm. on here. There is apocalyptic type talk here. There's all those things. It does become a religion, right? And when something becomes a religion, we've talked about how you 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 lose your sense of freedom. You lose a sense of, of forgiveness, and that will eat eat eat, eat you too. But I think what also gets lost in that is the actual victims, right? So I go around and I tell you about how socially conscious I am and whatever. And then I, you know, go back on my, you know, I tell you about how, you know, uh, capitalism's terrible. And then I pull out my iPhone and whatever, who gets lost in that the actual victims. So I'm trying to be righteous. I'm trying to do this religious thing to justify myself, but it really Again, there's no, there's no gospel. It's only law. There's no forgiveness. And and I haven't loved my neighbor. I've only loved myself. I'm getting off topic here. You guys talk.
2: Hmm. I thought you were just going to tell us if we should have a flag in the chancel or not. No, don't even get started <laughs> on that one.
1: <laughs> no, one of the things I really like
0: we talked about is like just experiencing things. I think that there is you know, getting back to just the idea of head knowledge versus experiential knowledge. and. I think about, like, um, when I was a kid, when we'd go fishing and we'd catch a fish and we'd have to gut and clean the fish at the end, and my dad would tell me that I needed to really respect the fish and, and kill it mercifully because this is a creation that God gave me. And so in that moment, in that liturgy, mm-hmm. he was teaching me about an omnipotent God who gave me something to use.
1: And completely different if he sat you down before you ever went fishing and Correct. explained this to him. Correct. You. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, as I had my finger... In in this
0: in this creature that God made, there was a lesson that you know that he was teaching. I think you know those those are interesting. I, and he had you know he just that idea of the head knowledge versus experience knowledge. I think. I, that, yeah.
2: And that's probably why in our current era we're more open to this concept than we would have been fifty years ago. I mean, just with the whole turn of things. Yeah. Um, a postmodern term yeah, is not yeah. necessarily a bad no, thing. No, I mean that's. Um, he, I have a quote here that I thought this was a very succinct way of saying what he's getting after. Precognitive, affective desire affects how we act more than cognitive, conscious deliberation. And I think that's what we were getting at earlier. Is um, he's just acknowledging that we are heart, mind, soul, willful creatures, and not just um, brains. And, and yeah. that's. And so some of the,
1: you know, James K. Smith has sometimes been talked about as a postmodern thinker or whatever, but he makes it very clear. I'm not anti-intellectual or anti-truth or anti-access to truth. He's not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. What he is admitting intellectually, (laughs) right, (laughs) is that uh, we're not as smart as we think we are. Mm -hmm. We're not as rational as we think we are just day-to-day life were not very rational. And so then if the Christian church is gonna look at a human being and say, this is not really a rational being, but a lover and a worshiper, how do I form somebody to love and worship the right thing and find rest in God? And, and, And from my experience in grad school, going to an evangelical school with young pastors how in how interested they were in the liturgy and the creeds and all of this kind of stuff because there's just something there Mm -hmm. right there was just something that was missing in this modern modern sense and i would say that the protestant church so i'm distinguishing between catholic lutheran and protestant in the western church that the protestant church has grown up and has only known the modern period where the Lutheran Church, yes, at the beginning of the modern era, is only known that modern era, was very quick to say, we don't reject the past. We don't reject art. We don't reject the body. Lucas Chronic. Yeah. Luther's being grittiness. The sacraments. Mm-hmm. The liturgy or whatever. We are the true Catholics. That there's a reckoning in the Protestant church that had, for a, a small period of time, literally thrown out music and art an iconoclasm at the early part of the Reformation, has only known the modern period, which is a Cartesian thinking thing kind of thing, and Mm -hmm. that they're, and they they, this is their own words, that they're waking up to this, to a more sacramental life. And what they mean by that is a physical kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think suffering having meaning rather than something to be eradicated. Vocation, which you and I did not get in seminary like we should have, like they do now. I'm sure, and no, that's no, that's no criticism of previous generations. They had the, they had their issues to deal with. We have our issues to deal with. The liturgy, thinking about the liturgy instead of just throwing page five out there or throwing page page five completely away, right? I'm thinking of the hymnal, page five or fifteen. <laughs> um, art. I mean, there's a huge. Uh, movement for new music, new art in the church, all of those things I think the Protestant Church is waking up to, and my frustration has been the Lutheran Church has been this was, this was our best asset <laughs> mm-hmm. and we kind of we kind of hit it we, we, we put the bushel over the candle, there was a song like that, um, that kind of thing so I oh, know what it, you think but, about that
0: well when you were talking about like when you were mentioning this, the, 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 the touchstones of the liturgy when, once you like I remember when I had that aha moment when I realized each movement of the liturgy was the tip of an iceberg of a huge biblical story and yeah. a biblical narrative. Yeah. And when you piece that together, it becomes this beautiful, yeah. like you said, this beautiful yeah. play of, of law and gospel of the life of Christ. And uh, so the, que- you know, the question is, is how do you get, because those are all stories are about experiences. How do you get that yeah. experience into people's heads yeah. so that they can appreciate the liturgy to the depth that yeah. someone who's educated does? Yeah.
1: And, um yeah, so it's not ritual without teaching, right that yeah. it's both that's yeah. thats yeah and
2: I think as as we were talking about too, on the way over here, uh Smith doesn't get into this, but we in our circles, someone once said, we only say our circles in our circles, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and in our circles, we always jump to style too, right yeah and and, and what? you know, as far as worship and mm-hmm. liturgy, like how does, and maybe we don't even, we probably don't want to get into that right well, now, but, I, but how does well, style he, play into that? Talked you talked know, about the benediction Did I don't
0: know if you mentioned yeah, that before, yeah. but yeah. like how his life experiences of not having a father, mm-hmm. having multiple fathers that left him, yeah. and then having that, connecting that dot with the, the benediction and opening up the arms yeah. as an open father, like, yeah. like what made him connect those dots? Yeah. Was it was it was it a, was it a supernatural element mm-hmm. of the ritual, or was it yeah. obviously you have to say it probably was all together? But like, may, how, how do you know getting people to connect those dots with the liturgy and with their own lives? Okay. It's a, it's like a, I think that's and a you, you got to teach it as pastors. Yeah. You have yeah. to teach it.
2: Yeah. And, and sometimes people just get it. I remember the the congregation that I grew up in. My dad told the story of a a milkman who had to be out early Sunday mornings delivering milk until nine o'clock, and the the latest summer service got done at 930. And every week he would open the back door, peek his head in, just to hear the benediction mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. all he could do. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone ever taught that's that milkman. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that that's yep. a, in, I don't know if he was on their delinquent list or if they, <laughs> <laughs> but the guy truly appreciated. And, and you've probably had that as a pastor when you're yeah. up there giving the benediction mm-hmm. And you just you you know this is not me, and these people are Mm -hmm. looking at you. Mm -hmm. They know it's not you, but there's something incredibly powerful of that that in the flesh blessing that you're giving to people.
1: And and the absolution too, like I forgive you. I mean, just I forgive you. Not God forgives you. I forgive you. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I finally got in the parish. I'm like, you don't know anything. I don't know anything. And so we studied it, and I taught it. I mean, I Mm -hmm. to the point where they were tired of it Mm -hmm. but i knew that that would pay dividends later and uh because otherwise we're just doing empty ritual i don't care if we change week to week if my ritual is a week old it's still a ritual yeah (laughs) you know so i i I think it, it is on pastors to learn it to love it and it's not too catholic you know it's not too whatever to learn it. And we probably watched the same video, but I, there was that question about, you know, what about doing church in the, in yep, the coffee collection? Yep, and yep. and mm. he was like, he was a very, he was a, actually, I don't think he knew it, but it was a very Chemnitz, Martin Chemnitz answer. Mm. Cause Martin Chemnitz would, you know, you know, post Luther talking about what, what does it mean to be Lutheran in contrast to the council of Trent, which becomes Roman Catholicism for 400 years. And, uh, you know, he he, Chemnitz finally said, "Is like, listen, yeah, you have audio for freedom, but here's the deal. You at least should have Holy Communion, a sermon, readings, and the creed for crying out loud. <laughs> and that's what James K, K, Smith, he's like, okay, listen, you want to do it in the coffee shop? I got no problem with that. Yeah. You know, he's like, I prefer this. And I, I think what he wanted to say was eventually you get to the point where the space matters too, because we're physical beings. But he said, it matters more what you do. And this is sort of a, a, to the style kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're gonna get up there and it's gonna be whatever, don't invite me. I, I need this.
0: You need content. I need love. Yeah. You, need con- you
1: need narrative content. You need something. The story. The story, right? you need story. Something. Yeah. And so I, I think our, the, the, the worship wars, so to speak, of the yeah. 70s, 80s of all Christian churches, it wasn't just the Lutheran churches that got into these battles. You know, I, I think there was, there was ritual. This is the way we do it, and that was that was the worst position. The other position that is, we can just have teaching and it doesn't matter. Kind of ritual. I don't think is possible, and I, I think it was, I think it was naive, right? So can you put a different style, but keep the Gloria, the Curie, or whatever? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to do something. You got to do something, and if you have a variety of, of styles, um, you know, and we can, that's a whole different yeah. d- different topic. But you know, some styles are are more applicable to this to this mis- mysterious, beautiful supernatural thing going on than others. But we made it about style and it wasn't really about style, was it? It was about the content, and neither side, at least growing up, I, that's how I felt in the eighties and nineties. As neither neither side knew anything about the history of the liturgy at all
2: some just like the organ
1: and some you know and I'm like I don't I don't like either a pops upon (laughs) both your houses right you know so yeah as a musician as mm -hmm. a liturgical musician why don't you well here's a question for you let's go way off topic here's a question for you how have you developed grown up Lutheran Mm -hmm. did the musician thing did the Christian music thing been at church most Sundays of your life I mean how multiple have you multiple times a day multiple times a Sunday <laughs> sometimes we, we, we call in our house we call them two church Sundays yeah <laughs> we, well, we had three or four sometimes <laughs> yeah. um, have you grown in appreciation oh yeah how so oh, yeah. and why kind of thing um, well
0: well the, lit- like the liturgy like there's an entire record that I did where I wanted to carry the liturgy in 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 a sonic space like to create the sonic atmosphere so i had a, one of my professors from college daniel Deutschlander, wrote a or he gave a talk about the liturgy and i i listened to this man just kind of pour his emotions out about what it, each movement meant kind of like what you just did mm-hmm. you know in our talk here and movement's a good word right like yeah it's a, like it's a yeah, as it yeah. as it morphs and so and i and i knew that a lot of people didn't see it that way mm-hmm because people, the people that would listen to contemporary music didn't want to have those rituals because they didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to see if I could sonically create the highs and the lows of the confession, the etherealness of um, the sanctus before it comes up, the, the opening up of heaven before you actually taste the body and blood of Christ and, and do that in a sonic space so that people would listen to the stuff in their cars between the Sundays, not on Sunday, but like from Monday to Saturday. And... When you start diving into the history of the, of the hymnology and, the, and the, uh, the liturgical rites, I just, there's just, it's just neat to see the depth of knowledge and the depth of meaning. Now, what, what frustrated me the most is that when people would say that you could only portray that in the specific style, mm-hmm. and this is where fundamentally I would say that God created all sound and we're at the leisure of, or at the luxury of being able to rearrange it in any way we can, as long as we can communicate.
1: It's its own kind of iconoclasm to choose one style of art. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So Did you write that down? That was good, man. I just came up with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so I like I, I I as a kid I would hear I would hear the organ and Lent in 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 the worship space and I would absorb it and then i would hear the electric guitars of acdc in the secular space and i somehow correlated i found connections between the two just from the from the power and the energy of the sonic space it's epic yeah it moves and you it, and, and it's it's, epic. it's dark and it has weight yeah. and it has meaning um and I did, you know and that so that that carried into my into when i started writing music with koine and things is that i I I could I read these hymn lyrics I could read these movements of the liturgy I knew there was power and there's energy in there. How could I communicate that with a modern audience who, a lot of times with my own kids, like how can I I can get them to sense what the liturgy is trying to say with a sonic space? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's making any sense. No, but. I think
1: I this is this is a good segue to. Um, I think a lot of things that Smith and, and I know that we, Justin, we've talked about this before the, 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 power of story and the power of story is that I get to be brought into something bigger than myself. Right? So when I listen to, if I like a piece of music, mm-hmm. I've, I've grown to understand myself that if I like a piece of music, it makes me feel bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And, and the word I keep going back, back to is epic. And I connect that to the doctrine of vocation. I'm brought into an epic story. Now Lutherans really get this because they're Pauline and they realize in baptism, I, I die and rise with Christ. Well, what could be more mm-hmm. flipping ep- epic than that, yeah. right? So <clears throat> I started to think of liturgy and, 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 and going to church on Sunday. Now that I know the Sanctus and the Agnus Dei and the Gloria I didn't say, oh, that's just boring, boring organ music. I, I started to connect that with the incarnation, heaven opening up, like you mm-hmm. said, you know, John the Baptist saying, Agnus Dei, you know, Ecke Agnus Dei, all of those things. I, and one of my favorite things is, especially with the organ, that it uh, blasts the Sanctus and then groans the yeah. Agnus Dei. Mm-hmm. Like those, and if you have a good musician playing yeah, that, those those that. dynamics are incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Why? Because we went from Palm Sunday to mm-hmm. to Good Friday. And, that's, and, and we did it like that, just like they did it in a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. And if you can, you can translate that in, ex, in, a, in an experience, you know, if you told somebody you're going to do that, they'd be kind of like, well, you're kind of weird. That's, that <laughs> but you put them in that circumstance and you, and you, you physically create the sonic waves yeah. that create that emotion that yeah. changes,
1: yeah, I think that's connecting the dots yeah. with the liturgy and with sound and, and I, I always, when someone says when someone flippantly says, well the music doesn't matter, I don't care what style it is that, that's something different, that's insulting to the musician, uh-huh. as if there was there was no thought that was going into this at all, music is is just so powerful, and so we do choose it wisely, we do choose the the genre, you know, and I go listen, I don't, you know if you're going to give me Yanni for the Agnus Dei, it's going to be off. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be off. Yeah. Right. But, but I shouldn't limit myself to what I'm used to just for the sake of what I'm used to, because I think that is ritual without understanding.
0: Christ Jesus lay in death, strong bands. If you lis- if you read the lyrical arc from where Luther starts to where he ends, yeah. uh, I, I, we, when we started, we we wanted to tackle that hymn, so I started looking at that, and it's 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 like a yarn. He's spinning a yarn. He tells a story, and then at about three quarters of the way through, like verse three or verse four, the song lyrically breaks into chaos. Yeah. When it's talking about it was a strange and dreadful strife, and and so you know, artistically it was kind of fun. So what we did is we created this yarn where it started off as a story, and as it got as it progressed, the song got more intense until that until all chaos broke loose, and you had a glorious conclusion. Yeah. So. What's neat about modern music and modern instrumentation is that you can, you can do stuff like that that you probably couldn't do with an organ. But organs have their own... I mean, I, I love the organ. Don't get me wrong. They, but, you know, that's what, I, that's what sure. we try to do. And, and you, I mean, much, sure. you, you and once wanted, said
2: to me that the... Maybe you already said this because I yeah, stepped out for a second, but that the organ is more like a heavy metal guitar. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what I heard. Did it. you say that? Yeah, because yeah. 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 yeah.
1: you can do that. I mean, yeah. you can pull out some stops and that thing can just <laughs> really go... We had a we had a, a, we had a beautiful <laughs> pipe organ. Like we had to redo it, just the little like rubber things between the whatever. It was like 30 grand. I mean, we had we had <laughs> yeah. this awesome. It was it wasn't like awesome awesome, but it was pretty darn good. And we had uh, Rick Grieger. I don't know, think you're listening, but call out <laughs> to you. Organ like Duke could play, and he would blow. I mean, you could. It was like dust was coming out that yeah. these things had never been. I mean, if you get it right, man. So yeah, con- yeah. So connecting that experience yeah. with a good story or
0: yeah. with the the best the story. story, yeah. And and the liturgy, and then you have like a you know that's I think what
2: can- and maybe that's the best way to look at the liturgy is it's a story. Yeah. Yeah. But we just don't often, you know. I had a classmate, and who you said, get to be a part of it because yes. you're in, and yeah. it's
1: not just a story you're looking at too, but because. A, you're baptized into his death and his resurrection, mm-hmm. but B, then you're a co-worker with Christ in vocation. It's your story.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the difficulty is that a classmate at the SEM, and I was probably this way too, until your third year of the SEM, you don't always get the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why you're saying as a parish pastor, we need to help people appreciate yeah. that and to teach it, because, yeah, otherwise it can just become we have to open to page five and this is your
1: only other option is liturgy is is ritual without meaning, which is ironic because some people will say those that care about this kind of talk about ritual, either you're too Catholic or you're too artistic or the danger is we're going to have ritual without meaning. But the Mm -hmm. irony of it is if you don't teach it,
2: you only have one option.
1: And that is whatever ritual you got it's just going to be mindless, right? And and I, or nobody's going to show up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in this guy in in
0: uh K Smith's arc, like people that listen to him, how do they like where do
1: they sit when it comes to liturgies? That's that's a good question. I don't know the answer yeah. to it other than uh, you know, my experience in the evangelical world, although he's more reformed. Um, and watching some of the videos and the question and the answers. I mean, he, he does, in a couple of the books, he'll have like an excursus on like, okay, here's the Agnes Dei or here's the Gloria, which is, when have you ever read a Reformed evangelical person thinking about that, right? And so when, I, when he does that, I say, This is the first time that I've ever read him going, I know more than him, (laughs) but, but I grew up with it. I, this was my, this was my passion as a parish pastor. He's new to this because this is new ground for, for him. A lot in the reform didn't really think about those things. Right. So I think there is a probably a little uneasiness, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when he talks about counterbalancing
0: the secular liturgies, so does he give an example of what like so like uh, on the one side we have the liturgy
1: that we want to support but what would be a counterbalance to that like does he give concrete examples of that or is it well I I thought that was maybe what was lacking in his stuff even though that was that's unfair because that was not his purpose but you know if I was to write this book (laughs) you know ridiculous but I would say you know what's really cool the sign of the cross Mm -hmm. you know what's really cool the family altar you know what's really cool you know what i mean yeah. i mean i don't know if that's yeah. answering your question or not but right and he does go yeah. later in the in the third book and that that was kind of more in, in depth he, he does make the and maybe he did it in some of the videos where he said okay yeah. we got the thinking thing going on a little bit and then there was a, a reaction to that that we need to be more concerned about the world and justice and all that kind of stuff but we also Lou if we go too far the other way, we lose the and I think this is where he gets the word imagining the kingdom. We lose the geez, what's the right word? We lose the mysteriousness, yeah. the 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 sacred in the everyday kind of thing, what Charles Taylor would yeah. say kind the of enchantment the enchantment. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for, the enchantment of everyday. And that we are penultimate and not ultimate. So he does kind of balance that out he does set okay maybe this goes too far i'm I'm not answering
2: your question well he just just to give an example that so the guy my buddy in missoula who is an anglican rector which i don't know you know their level of um, pastor it's a pastor yeah yeah. Yeah. but he he was we would we would label him as high church Mm -hmm. liturgical Mm -hmm. and he liked Jamie Smith so I think he probably appeals to people like that all the way down to the non-denom guy who's kind of doing more just praise type worship but you know I I don't think and I I don't know what church he belongs to or what his personal uh, preferences as far as liturgy
1: I get the sense that he he's like listen I was at this point yeah and now I'm here you're asking this question I'm yep. going to try to be nice with you and be patient with you. But I think eventually yeah. the conclusion is we're physical beings. We're liturgical animals. You got to think about what you're doing. You can't just have an hour sermon and that's it. Yeah. Because you're not a thinking thing. Yeah. You are something physical.
2: So w- th- this is tied into that. But we saw in your notes on the books, you said something about the PowerPoint be- is is surely is surely intellectual. Yeah but becomes anti-intellectual. Is yeah. that because it just boils everything down to like, I think that's what he's oh, after. Okay. Yeah. You know, but the, the thing
1: is like, mm-hmm. I've, I've pro- I pro I will, I'm a self-described liturgical nerd mm-hmm. and uh, not a liturgical Nazi, but a liturgical snob. Right. So I got an opinion about Sunday morning. I'll keep it to myself, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll drink your coffee, but I, I'm better than that. You know, <laughs> um, I, I, I understand that. Um, but i 've come around on the screens, even though a lot of people have who were pro screen have not have have like said, okay now i 'm not doing this anymore because it it doesn 't work it it draws attention away from the beautiful architecture and then whatever whatever. whatever. but I start to think like and i 've never seen this done i 've never seen this done, but let me back up we we had uh in my small little rural church, about three hundred and fifty in the town of four thirty. <laughs> So we're, you know, we are definitely not, uh, you know, we're not, we're not cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. But we really put a lot of money into producing our services. So multiple cameras and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And what I did was I would try to give an image. So we weren't always just looking at the the pastor or whatever. Sometimes I would give an image of here's the Agnes Dei. Here's Good Friday, kind of thing. I I didn't get to the point where I really was happy with it, but to teach this story or or whatever, and I thought if I had screens, yeah, and I was singing the Agnus Dei, mm-hmm. well, I can think about four hundred pictures that would of of classical art,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, of medieval art that would fill that. I I mean I I think you can put those together. So here's I the- can use that. <laughs> Did I open a can of worms? I've been doing this
0: this for years. So, so one of the things that I was doing (laughs) with Koine was connecting video imagery with liturgical elements. Mm -hmm. So I I talked about that album that we wrote that was basically the liturgy start to finish. uh, Start to finish. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to try to I wanted the audience to be able to understand that the the infinite could be contained by the finite. Yeah. When it gets to communion. Uh So in the beginning of the service, when you walk into the worship space, you're overwhelmed with the majesty of God. Mm-hmm. So, the, so we had um, a lot of sonic, lot sonic noise and like this, this, this almost overwhelming sense. In the video, the, the screen was an overwhelming scape, sonic scape. Mm-hmm. But then for the liturgy, I took that same image and I was able to morph it and then confine it into this tiny little um, bread, and this, this cup and this little bread mm-hmm. p- piece of bread to kind of teach Mm -hmm. this image, like that God can be brought to you in these finite objects. So anyway, like this, what you're, what you're saying is a very interesting pursuit. And I've always thought that the, the video screens are like digital stained glass windows. And so like, what if you were able to, to, well, you could change them with, with the movements of the liturgy or just seasonally to teach the people to connect, connect the stories with, with, with the the cognitive exercise of singing and thinking you know that
1: or you just put words with bouncing balls <laughs> on it that would be fine yeah well, <laughs> <Or> i always <laughs> like like we just spent like yeah, five yeah, right. ten grand on this thing and the best graphic you got was <laughs> right. like the first thing that yeah. came up but uh, that's, that's a different a, that's like, a whole different topic but, yeah. but like
0: getting an artist who's super talented yeah. in contact with modern like a, a screen yeah. could be really yeah. liturgically yeah. powerful yeah. i believe and,
1: and i think why are we in the situation where we had these worship wars and stuff? I believe, and I can't prove this, but I think two reasons. One is the modern period split between the physical and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so religious was like the physical is bad, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date girls that do, right? The old old phrase. But, But, you know, you start with, you know, after probably even before, but about Bach, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, they're not funded by the church anymore you know I, I tell my kids i'm like jimmy jimmy page and robert plant weren't funded by the church anymore <laughs> no. now they're like who is that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but I, I, but but there were, there was there was a talent drain hmm. and i i think even in my short lifetime that that's changing mm-hmm. right i mean we were talking about artists before i mean do you think our fathers generation were like like wow, oh, there's this great artist I know, a liturgical artist mm-hmm. I know. No, no, they yeah, weren't separate worlds. And so I, uh, and and this I think we've talked about this before. I mean, the, the the postmodern turn as as scary as it may be, and it is. There's some there's some difficulties with it. This is one of the benefits of it that the physical matters, mm-hmm. that suffering has to have meaning. Um, we talked about you talked about that artwork of Jason um, Jasperson. Yeah, Jason Jasperson of the, of the the. The twelve apostles, yeah, earthy and big real, gnarly yeah. and blue collar. It's <laughs> a good thing, yeah, right. And then quite frankly, I see parallels between the switch from the pre-modern to the modern, which would be the Lutheran Reformation coming out of the Renaissance, and our time period at the same time. Very gritty, very earthy, very much about. A fight against iconoclasm and fight for art, fight for the liturgy the right way, all those kinds of things. It's different, but I think there's some parallels yeah, there. Yeah. Since we're talking about it, this is probably a totally tangential thing. That's but, all right. Um,
0: I think this like, whole thing's it, been a little it, tangential, no, this <laughs> this actually,
2: which, is, which is interesting. This, this has it's, been, it's like probably more... This know,
0: actually <laughs> is one of more focused ones. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. When <laughs> anyway. it comes to like imagery, so you're talking about like imagery. Yeah. In, in, our, in my, you know, 15 years of experience, one of the things that... I was very conscious of, and is not to rob the image that is created in your head when you hear the biblical story. So, like when when you heard the story of Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. have a picture of yep. Adam and Eve in your head. Mm-hmm. And so, when I wanted to sonically tell that story with with spoken word, with music, and with visual arts, mm-hmm. one of the things I was very conscious of is to to push the story, but not rob you of your own imagination, mm-hmm. which I you know which is so like, for instance, if if I put a picture of a really, of an Eve, yeah, and then she had like a weird looking nose, all you would be concentrating on is how weird her nose Th- looks. This
2: him. is the problem of watching Jesus movies, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. so realistic and it's so graphic that right. it's not you, the way we we envisioned right. it. So yeah. you
0: have to be careful to, to push people, because you can push people into, I think you can push them into theological ideas, but you can have the art be a little bit more abstract so that they don't, you don't rob them of the narrative, the, the pictures mm-hmm. of the narrative mm-hmm.
1: that they're creating in their own head. There's some maybe humility in that, right? From the artist's point of view, there's yeah. a humility well, that I'm not yeah. gonna. Because I think about it, like when, yeah, I think
0: about when you're a kid and you like imagining Potiphar, and yeah. Potiphar, mm-hmm. Potiphar's wife, and, yeah. and what is Joseph like that whole scene like? What mm-hmm. is that like? I have I have vivid images of what those look like, but I would
1: never want to push that on you. But, but I would want to push the story on you. But to push growth and, for lack of a better word, diversity in that right? Like yeah. here's a different way but i'm not right i'm and not I'd, surpassing i push the
0: core idea, the core ideas about about being uh, sexually chase and yeah. resisting temptation those are the keys of the story and right. the, the people are around it so if i can trigger enough in your head to make yeah. sure that you can visualize it but not rob you of your imagination right. but, but still teach those theological truths i think that's to me where that the whole screen thing becomes really
1: fascinating i wish i was an art major you just got to hire him, <laughs> Yeah.
2: I know. Your daughter?
1: Yeah. What? I would, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think that pays very well. Yeah. Yeah. But I, like, I, I took art history in college. That's my, by far my favorite class. Yeah. By far my favorite class. So you
0: think people, like, so when I, so I I liked a lot of what this guy said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he was talking, like, when he was talking about the mall, do you think people then say, okay, the mall is evil? Like, this, like, we yeah. shouldn't go there. This yeah. is... Yeah, and that's where I get the rub is yeah. that because I believe that you can
1: still pull the best things yeah. from there yeah. and use them. Right, and and I think he sort of touches on that later on, but I don't think he he does not redeem the physical in the same way that I think a Lutheran would. Like he doesn't have quite the language of this is a world given back to us, right? Um, I, I think he. I think if you pushed him, he would get there. But I get your point. So, like, I mean, I mean you can't see me because we're on the radio, but
0: I'm using my hands. They're further apart. So when yeah. he says like counterbalance, I I see him pushing things in different directions, yeah. like pitting things against yeah. each other. Yeah. Whereas I tend to see things that they're both going on the same
1: trajectory. Yep. It's just
0: one doesn't reach it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I it's think the he,
0: boat that doesn't get I there. I think
1: I think that he would agree with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he would be much more on your side, and that's what you've been trying to get at for the last <laughs> half an hour. Yeah. And I've <laughs> totally ignored you. So, no, so. That's totally but fine. no, and and I think. I know that from On the Road with St. Augustine, having read the books, having read his other stuff, that I I think he...
0: Yeah. Because in the the worship wars, I think people tend to... They get sidelined by... by pitting things against and saying, like, okay, what's the best of these things? There's obviously stuff we're going to let
1: behind, but, like, what are the best... Anyway. I, I don't know that... Let's just say maybe the 70s, 80s, and 90s were not the most thoughtful... Theologically, of the decades, (laughs) maybe leave it. You know, I mean, like you said, why do people say the other's bad? I'm right, yeah, because they haven't thought, they haven't put themselves in, they haven't, they haven't been thoughtful enough. And and I think, and and as a parish pastor, especially as a young guy coming in, be like, now I'm going to tell you what's going on. You know, the people are going to push you back. I made a point to say, listen. Every generation has their battle, and I think God only gives every generation one or two battles because he's patient with us. But every generation has blind, their blind spot. I don't know what my blind spot is because it's a blind yeah. spot. But those of you who fought as a thinking thing for for in the battle of the Bible, thank you. We always have to fight that. But the battle in this postmodern world is going to be something more artsy, more ethereal, more... How does the physical and the spiritual come together? Are we going to be holistic? How does, what, is, hmm. how, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I said, you veterans of the war, hmm. I need you now. You know what I mean? And I don't think it convinced anybody, but I felt pretty good about
2: myself. And right? th- This is <laughs> funny because these are little notes I typed into my phone is that the relationship between belief and practice, which is obviously the ongoing debate. Uh, the deeper question that runs throughout philosophy and theology is the relationship between spiritual and physical, mm-hmm. words and meaning, thought and action, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what, what J.K. Smith is is getting us to think about mm-hmm. here, is can those two, how do those two come together? How can we reconcile them? How can we live with them mm-hmm. and worship God with mm-hmm. them?
1: Yeah. yeah well that's a good summary and that is we're over time so i think yeah. we'll end it there i appreciate you guys both going on this was absolutely fantastic and uh and i hope we i hope we do it again <laughs> this will be this will be fun so until then justin what should our audience do let the bird fly every evening when the sun goes down get in my body and i begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk I'm just a I set him up another round I set him up another round I set him up another round One oh, more round won't get me down And I said, honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking.